Section 11 of The Fable of the Bees by Bernard Mandeville. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Line 173. Parties directly opposite assist each other as twere for spite. Nothing was more instrumental in forwarding the Reformation than the sloth and stupidity of the Roman clergy. Yet the same Reformation has roused them from the laziness and ignorance they then labored under, and the followers of Luther, Calvin, and others may be said to have reformed not only those whom they drew into their sentiment, but likewise those who remained their greatest opposers. The clergy of England, by being severe upon the schismatics, and abrading them with want of learning, have raised themselves such formidable enemies as are not easily answered, and again the dissenters, by prying into the lives and diligently watching all the actions of their powerful antagonists, render those of the established church more cautious of giving offense than in all probability they would if they had no malicious overlookers to fear. It is very much owing to the great number of Huguenots that have always been in France, since the late utter extirpation of them, that that kingdom has a less dissolute and more learned clergy to boast of than any other Roman Catholic country. The clergy of that church are nowhere more sovereign than in Italy, and therefore nowhere more debauched, nor anywhere more ignorant than they are in Spain, because their doctrine is nowhere less opposed. Who would imagine that virtuous women unknowingly should be instrumental in promoting the advantage of prostitutes? Or, what still seems to greater paradox, that incontinence should be made serviceable to the preservation of chastity. And yet nothing is more true. A vicious young fellow, after having been an hour or two at church, a ball, or any other assembly, where there is a great parcel of handsome women dressed to the best advantage, will have his imagination more fired than if he had the same time been polling at Guildhall, or walking in the country among a flock of sheep. The consequence of this is that he will strive to satisfy the appetite that is raised up in him and when he finds honest women obstinate and uncommitable, it is very natural to think that he will hasten to others that are more compliable, who would so much as surmise that this is the fault of the virtuous women. They have no thoughts of men in dressing themselves, poor souls, and endeavor only to appear clean and decent, every one according to her quality. I am far from encouraging vice, and think it would be an unspeakable felicity to a state if the sin of uncleanness could be utterly banished from it but I am afraid it is impossible. The passions of some people are too violent to be curbed by any law or precept, and it is wisdom in all governments to bear with lesser inconveniences to prevent greater. If courtesans and strumpets were to be prosecuted with as much rigor as some silly people would have it, what locks or bars would be sufficient to preserve the honor of our wives and daughters? For it is not only that the women in general would meet with far greater temptations, and the attempts to ensnare the innocence of virgins would seem more excusable, even to the sober part of mankind, than they do now. But some men would grow outrageous, and ravishing would become a common crime. Where six or seven thousand sailors arrive at once, as it often happens, at Amsterdam, that have seen none but their own sex for many months together, how is it to be supposed that honest women should walk the streets unmolested, if there were no harlots to be had at reasonable prices? For which reason... The wise rulers of that well-ordered city always tolerate an uncertain number of houses, in which women are hired as publicly as horses at a livery stable. And there being in this toleration a great deal of prudence and economy to be seen, a short account of it will be no tiresome digression. In the first place, the houses I speak of are allowed to be nowhere but in the most slovenly and unpolished part of the town, where seamen and strangers of no repute chiefly lodge and resort. 
The street in which most of them stand is counted scandalous, and the infamy is extended to all the neighborhood round it. In the second, they are only places to meet and bargain in, to make appointments in order to promote interviews of greater secrecy, and no manner of lewdness is ever suffered to be transacted in them, which order is so strictly observed, that bar the ill manners and noise of the company that frequent them, you will meet with no more indecency and generally less lasciviousness there than with us are to be seen at a playhouse. Thirdly, the female traders that come to these evening exchanges are always the scum of the people, and generally such as in the daytime carry fruit and other eatables about in wheelbarrows. The habits, indeed, they appear in at night are very different from their ordinary ones, yet they are commonly so ridiculously gay that they look more like the Roman dresses of strolling actresses than gentlewomen's clothes. If to this you add the awkwardness, the hard hands, and coarse breeding of the damsels that wear them, there is no great reason to fear that many of the better sort of people will be tempted by them. The music in these temples of Venus is performed by organs, not out of respect to the deity that is worshipped in them, but the frugality of the owners, whose business it is to procure as much sound for as little money as they can, and the policy of the government who endeavor as little as is possible to encourage the breed of pipers and scrapers. All seafaring men, especially the Dutch, are like the element they belong to, much given to loudness and roaring, and the noise of half a dozen of them, when they call themselves merry, is sufficient to drown twice the number of flutes or violins, whereas, with one pair of organs, they can make the whole house ring, and are at no other charge than the keeping of one scurvy musician, who can cost them but little. Yet notwithstanding the good rules and strict discipline that are observed in these markets of love, the shout and his officers are always vexing, mulcting, and, upon the least complaint, removing the miserable keepers of them, which policy is of two great uses. First, it gives an opportunity to a large parcel of officers, the magistrates make use of on many occasions, and which they could not be without, to squeeze a living out of the immoderate gains accruing from the worst of employments, and, at the same time, punish those necessary profligates, the bods and panders, which, though they abominate, they desire yet not wholly to destroy. Secondly, as on several accounts it might be dangerous to let the multitude into the secret that those houses and the trade that is drove in them are connived at, so by this means appearing unblameable, the wary magistrates preserve themselves in the good opinion of the weaker sort of people, who imagine that the government is always endeavoring, though unable, to suppress what it actually tolerates. Whereas, if they had a mind to root them out, their power in the administration of justice is so sovereign and extensive, and they know so well how to have it executed, that one week, nay, one night, might send them all a-packing. In Italy, the toleration of strumpets is yet more barefaced, as is evident from their public stews. At Venice and Naples, impurity is a kind of merchandise and traffic. The courtesans at Rome and the cantoneras in Spain compose a body in the state, and are under a legal tax and impost. It is well known that the reason why so many good politicians as these tolerate lewd houses is not their irreligion, but to prevent a worse evil, an impurity of a more execrable kind, and to provide for the safety of women of honor. About 250 years ago, says Monsieur Saint-Didier, Venice being in want of courtesans, the Republic was obliged to procure a great number from foreign parts. Doglioni, who has written the memorable affairs from Venice, highly extols the wisdom of the Republic in this point, which secured the chastity of women of honor, daily exposed to public violences, the churches and consecrated places not being a sufficient asylum for their chastity. 
Our universities in England are much belied if in some colleges there was not a monthly allowance ad expurgandos renes, and time was when monks and priests in Germany were allowed concubines on paying a certain yearly duty to their prelate. It is generally believed, says Monsieur Bale, to whom I owe the last paragraph, quote, that avarice was the cause of the shameful indulgence, but it is more probable their design was to prevent their tempting modest women and to quiet the uneasiness of husbands whose resentments the clergy do well to avoid, unquote. From what has been said, it is manifest that there is a necessity of sacrificing one part of womankind to preserve the other, and prevent a filthiness of a more heinous nature, from whence I think I may justly conclude, what was the seeming paradox I went about to prove, that chastity may be supported by incontinence, and the best of virtues want the assistance of the worst of vices. End of section 11